0: Turn to Psalm 139 as we conclude this two-week series on this, uh, this great psalm. Before we dive into it, I just want to ask you a question to be thinking about throughout this sermon, all right? I'm going to ask you a very simple question, but there's probably nothing more important I could ask you this morning. And the question is, do you love God? I mean, think about that. We would all, we, if we asked that to this morning, we would all say, yeah, of course I love God. But I want you to search yourself and ask yourself this morning as I sit here, do I love God? Because the God that we are here to worship, the God that we're up here singing to, you're out there singing to, the God we're praying to, the God we're hearing from his word, the, he is a true and living God. And He is worth our affection and our desires and our love. And so as we dive into His Word, I hope you can say very clearly to your heart, I I love Him this morning. Last week, we looked at the first 12 verses of this psalm, and we looked at what David wrote, and it's a beautiful writing about God's omniscience, in other words, God knows everything. And we talked about God's omnipresence, that he is everywhere. And we see in the psalm just the depth of God's knowledge, the depth of God's greatness. And again, written in such a beautiful way as inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, through David. And so as we get into today's section, the second part of this this psalm, you're going to see that David praises God for the genius of his creation and particularly in his creation of of David, of of us, of people. And uh, as I'm reading through these verses, even a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that popped in my mind was the first time I ever saw an ultrasound when Aiden was a baby, so 19 years ago. And I'll never forget, because I'd never seen one before. I'd never seen one on TV, I don't guess. I'd never seen one in person. And I'm a 22-year-old guy walking into a doctor's office, don't know what I'm doing, and I see this little picture on the screen, right, of a little baby, and of course, back then, the ultrasounds are nowhere near as good as they are now, but I remember just being amazed, right, you can see that baby, and many of you have done it, some of you have done it recently, you can see the picture of that baby, and you're just amazed at the beautiful creation that God has made, and then, my favorite part was not just the seeing, but when you could hear the heartbeat, right, you hear that heartbeat, and it's like, wow, God created that, Person, and so that's again kind of the way I think about when I read these verses. But I want you to think about the the greatness of God as shown through His creation. So Psalm one thirty nine, and just to get the whole context, I want to read the entire psalm. We'll focus on thirteen through twenty four, but if you would listen starting in verse one, if you're there, say word. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou thou compass my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Where shall I go from thy spirit? Or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell or the grave, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. So beginning here, we see our text for this morning. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book, all my members or days, were written, which in continence were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieve with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's go through this verse, these verses, and... um, See what the Lord has for us. The first thing I want you to notice in verse 13 is this verse. When I mentioned the ultrasound, this is the verse I'm thinking about. Um, it said, he says, The Lord, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And so, David, who has been telling us in the previous 12 verses that God knows everything, now says God is not just a God who knows about things, but he is a God who is actively involved in everything, including the very knitting or weaving together of his body. The word here, to knit or put together, is the same word they would use in the Bible to describe someone who would make a basket, to weave a basket together. And the idea here is that if God was there creating David and a part of that creation, then then God has always been with David. So David can say, at no time have I been concealed from God. Remember last week, God is omnipresent. No matter where I go, God is there. Even in the womb, he is there. And David is showing this, that God is creator. So three truths, and the first one you already see there, it's God created us. God created us. When I read verse thirteen, I I feel like I have to say a word about this. That the fact that God says these words through David uh, to me is a clear picture that life begins at conception. I would think most of us would agree with that, or all of us would agree with that. I've never gone to an ultrasound, and I've had five different babies that I've gone to ultrasounds multiple times, and I've never looked at that baby and thought, I can't wait till that baby has life. I've gone to those ultrasounds and thought, there's my son, there's my daughter, that's life. If God knows and cares for children even in the womb, then God's people have a responsibility to care for children in the womb. Um, I've told you all this story before. Back in, I think it was 2000 or 2001, gosh, that's 23 years ago now, the college group at my church, we did some Bible studies on these topic, this topic, and we spent several months praying about the, the issue of abortion in our country. And when we finished the study, we took a field trip to Jackson to one of the two abortion clinics that were there. And um, I'll never forget, because there was two men outside these. Of course, it had these tall fences, right? So when you went in there, you would have privacy. And there were these two men, a, well, a well-groomed, clean-cut, uh, shirt-and-tie guy, and they would pass out tracks. He was passing out tracks as people drove into the facility. And another guy, and, and I always say he was like John the Baptist, a big old straw hat, long beard, and he had a stool, and he was standing up on the stool looking over the fence yelling at people. It was kind of like a good cop, bad cop thing. This guy was like, please reconsider your choices there's the adoption there's other choices and the john the baptist guy was over the fence like you're going to hell like screaming at people i was like you know but we went there we talked to these men we prayed there um again it's something i'll never forget and uh i know just from that experience 20 years ago and from conversations i've had with people since then that this that is a very topic a very touchy subject a sensitive topic But I see no way around this biblically. According to Scripture, according to this Scripture, that life begins at conception. And to abort a baby is to end a life. Now, my family's all in here. I've had multiple occasions where I've sat in a doctor's office and the doctor said, it would be best if you would end this baby's life. And the first time I heard it, to be honest, I kind of started laughing. Because I was like, are you insane? (laughs) Are you insane? No, that's not an option. And for my family, it's not an option. And again, I know this is a touchy issue, and some of us have been affected by this in different ways. But when I come to this text, I think we must say it. That Psalm 139 demonstrates when God sees a person in the womb, He sees a person in the womb. So we pray for those who've been in this situation. We grieve that we've been a part of a state and a nation that has killed countless millions of babies. And we're thankful, right, that a law was passed last year that in many states banned it. And so when I come to this text, I have to make this caveat here that as Christians as believers, we must stand for life even those of the unborn. Look at verse 14. I love verse 14. He says, I praise you, O Lord. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about what that word fearfully means here. I've read so many different takes on that word fearfully. One writer said it means that we're made very, we're made fragile. That one wrong step, and we can hurt ourselves. The body is a fragile thing, right? Uh, One wrong poke in the eye, or I did this this week. I kicked the edge of the table with my pinky, my baby toe, right? Hurt so bad. The The body can be so fragile, so fearfully made, but also so wonderfully made. That in all of God's creation, the heavens and the earth, the beauty of the mountains and the oceans, that we are truly that, that thing God made in his image. Wonderfully made. But no man could ever conceive something as great as a human being. I was thinking about how to illustrate this. The fact that David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful are your works, and so I praise you. I know these things. I give you praise for it. And I was thinking about, um, like, a, a painting. Um, and the most famous painting, or I guess one of the most famous paintings, is the Mona Lisa, right? We all can picture the Mona Lisa. I don't know what the big deal is about it, honestly. It's not that great to me, but it's famous. It's in the Louvre Museum. I was telling Jesse on the way down here, I was like, I bet tens of thousands of people go see the Mona Lisa every year. I bet it's tens of thousands of people go to that museum, walk through it, and look at the Mona Lisa. And then I Googled it, and it said over 6 million people go look at it every year. I was wrong. Over 6 million people go look at this this painting. And we know it was painted by da Vinci, and again, it's a very famous thing. But what would be the point if that painting was taken and just hidden away in a, in a, a storeroom, a storage room somewhere? Would, would that painting or da Vinci get the accolades he gets from painting that masterpiece? Of course not, right? And so his picture is displayed for over 6 million people a year to go and see. Here's why I say that. David says, I praise you, O Lord. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are to consider and worship God for his fearful and wonderful creation, including our own lives. It would be a disgrace to God to not praise Him for all of His creation, including us. And I was thinking about this. All that, as we see, it's wonderfully made. The other day I was with the eye doctor and looking at some of the things in there and how amazing it is, the, the, the eye, right? The eye is an amazing part of our body, all that it can do. And, and, and the heart, as Alden has had these different heart procedures and these different ultrasounds of their heart and all this stuff and scans, to see how it works and how amazing the heart is. And David, when he wrote this, did not know all these things that we know about our bodies. He certainly didn't know about how the heart completely works and how the eye works or how he definitely didn't know about DNA and things like that that we now know. And yet he said, Lord, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 15. He says, Lord, my, my substance or my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, woven or wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. This, again, is a, is a, this is figurative. This is poetic. As he says here that God made him in the mysterious deep. In other words, God has always been there. The reformer Calvin said this. He said, Should an artisan intend commencing a work in some dark cave where there was no light to assist him? How would he set his hand to it? In what way would he proceed? And what kind of workmanship would it prove? But God makes the most perfect work of all in the dark for he fashions man in the mother's womb. We continue to see God's knowing and his direct divine involvement in his creation. Verse 16, Your eyes saw my un, my substance, my unformed substance, and your books were written every one of them. Every one of them, the days form for me. Again, my, my illustration here is that of a, an architect who can... Write out blueprints, right? You ever seen blueprints? You built a house or you've seen blueprints and the architect can sketch it out. He can write it out. He can prepare. He can tell you exactly what it's going to look like, right? And in his book, there's written down these pictures and descriptions of this house. Well, here we see that God has written down our days, our lives. But God needs no book. He, he has the perfect idea in himself, and it's always been in in himself. And so again, the, the point I want to keep emphasizing because it applies to us is that God's care for David did not begin when David went through trials. God's care for you and me does not start just when we go through a valley, but God has always cared for his people. God is sovereign over all our days, even the worst days. God is sovereign over all our days. And by this truth, David is comforted and, watch, he's inspired to worship. Let us not be in such a way that we're like, wow, thank you, Lord, you're really comforting me, and stop there. You see, God's love and care and concern, the unconditional love he has for us that he showed us through Christ, that love should comfort us, but it should inspire us to worship Him. And so we should want to stand up and, and say, this is our song from age to age. We will recount your praise again and again and again. It should cause us to say, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, or Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. We as God's creation should worship the Creator. Not only in song, but just with our lives. And if we're taking the comfort God gives and not responding with worship, then do we truly know God? If we're just taking His blessings, taking His comfort, and not giving back to Him the surrender and obedience and faith that He calls for, do we know Him. When I read verses 13 through 16, I see that every fiber of my being has been crafted by the hand of God, fearfully, wonderfully made, unique and precious in His sight. And it it should cause me to say with David, Lord, I praise You. Let me finish this first point with one illustration. There was a pastor several years ago who was diagnosed with cancer. And he fought the fight of cancer, and then finally he succumbed to it and passed away. And at the funeral service, his wife shared about one of the final doctor's meetings, doctor's appointments. And she said, the doctor was basically giving him the the diagnosis, and the doctor was saying, we've done all we can do. There's nothing more we can do for you. Your, Your body's just too far gone. And the wife said she looked at her husband, the doctor looked at her husband, there was a pause there as they kind of waited for him to respond to that you know, fatal diagnosis. And the pastor looked up and said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. She said that's all he said. And they got up and, and left, and he lived a little bit longer and passed away. And she shared that as a testimony at that funeral. And I share that with us today to say, What a mindset. No matter what we go through, no matter what our body goes through, no matter what our lives go through, to say to God, Father, because you made me, not that I'm great, not that this body's great, but Lord, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, so I praise you. He created us, number one. Number two, God cares for us. Verse 17, listen to this. He says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Two things I see here is the value of God's thoughts. The word precious here means weighty or of heavy importance, of great worth or value. And so God's thoughts toward us, toward his people, are precious, weighty, important, good. And I wonder if sometimes we beat ourselves up because we certainly do sin, we certainly do fall short. We certainly do know that we want to please God and we don't all the time. But we should not always see God as just this mad father, right? Because he is also a loving father who we can go to when we need, in times of need and in times of struggle. And he says here, how precious are your thoughts to me. When I think about that, how often are our thoughts toward God inadequate or cold? We think about God as just another part of life. Not that important, not that worthy. Just cold or poor thoughts about Him. Meanwhile, His thoughts toward us are merciful and loving and rich and blessed. So the value of God's thoughts are that they are precious toward His people. And notice, secondly here, the vastness of God's thoughts in verse 18. The value of his thoughts, they're precious, the vastness of his thoughts. In verse 18, if I could count your thoughts toward me, they would be more than the sand. Some of you have been to the beach lately, or you're like me, you just want to go to the beach. You look out on the beach, you see the sand. Could you imagine trying to count the sand, right? It's kind of ridiculous, right? It's, It's impossible. The vastness of God's thought. David said, if I could count the thoughts you have toward me, God, that are precious, they are more than the sand. Be reminded, church, that God loves his people. He loves us. He cares for us. He desires the best for us. And so I go back to the question I started with this morning, do you love him? Well, let me start this way. As you read Psalm 139, did David love his God? Think so? I think so. All the stuff we know about him, was he perfect? By no means. Did he love his God? Absolutely. You see, David, it seems like David, look at verse 18 again. He says, I awake, I'm still with you. That last line, when I awake, I'm still with thee. I'm still there. David would, it seems like David would wake up and his mind would run to God. And I wake up, my mind runs to the coffee pot. Or my mind runs to Facebook. Or my mind runs to what I'm doing that day. David, it seems like he would wake up and his mind would run to the Lord. And again, I, I'm saying this because I'm uh, convicted by this, that, that. and this is a quote here from an uh, uh, old Puritan. He says, there, there, there needs to be no argument to bring to our remembrance those whom we love. A man in love wastes his spirit, vexes his mind, neglects his meal, regards not his business, his mind still feels on that he loves. This man is Francis Taylor, a Puritan. He said, when men love that they should not, there is more need of a bridle to keep them from thinking of it than of spurs to keep them to it. Now listen to this. He says, try, the, try your love of God by this. If you think not often of God, you do not love him. I'll say that again. If you think not often of God, you do not love him. I think about my wife every day. Even if she's not there, right? I think about my children every day. The people you love, you think often of them. And so why would it not be the same with God? Taylor goes on to say, Excuse me, if you cannot satisfy yourself with profits, pleasures, friends, and other worldly objects, but you must turn other businesses aside that you may daily think of God, then you truly love Him. That's one of the most convicting statements I've read in a long time. That how often can we be satisfied with things of this world? Family, job, Hobbies, food, drink, fun, health. How often can we be satisfied with those things? And Taylor says that there's not times where we have to put those things aside, even those things we enjoy, to love the God, who, our God, who we enjoy more, who's blessed us with these things, then do we truly love him? How precious to me are your thoughts. I awake and I'm still with you. God's care for his people is rooted in his love, but our response is is our love to him. Also in verse 18, when he says that about when I awake, I'm still with thee, let me give us a point of application here. This is a good reminder to begin our day with God. What better way to start your day every day than with prayer and or reading the Word? Again, if you're like me, you jump out of bed, you're on the run, right? I've got to do this, 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 and this. What better way to start your day than with God? Martin Luther, the reformer, he said this. I've always loved this quote. He said, I'm so busy that I must spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. Think about that. We're the opposite, right? I'm so busy, I skip prayer and go on. Luther said, I'm so busy this coming day, I'm going to get up early and pray for three hours. Wow. So we're reminded here of God's care for us and how that should cause us to worship, to love, and to treasure our relationship with him. Now, in verses 19 through 22, um, it's a very interesting thought here. He goes on to talk here about hating the enemies of God, and we know that we read some of these psalms like this in the book of Psalms, and some of them we call imprecatory psalms, where David basically says, God, you know, smash your enemy's face, and things like that. Some very graphic takes on the enemies of God. Again, he just says it very plainly in 21 and 22, Lord, do I not hate those who hate you? I, I, I hate them. I loathe them. in verse 22, with complete hatred. And David, and I think this is how all these psalms work, by the way. The point is not first and foremost that these people had hurt David, although we know he had enemies. First and foremost, the point is these people were enemies of God. They blasphemed God. They were against God. And that's why he feels so strongly against them, because they are so strongly against God. But let us never take these verses to mean we should hate our enemies, right? Because Jesus told us how to treat our enemies. We're to love them and pray for them. Now, I think there's also times when we can praise things like this. Lord, I hate the way this world is going. Lord, I hate how people in this world act. But we, of course, pray for their salvation and the restoration of the world. Let's go to the final point, the final two verses. God creates us. God cares for us. And number three, God leads us. Search me, O God, verse 23, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. One sticks out to me here is that David had kind of taken these few verses to say, Lord... You have these enemies, they blaspheme you, and Lord, I hate them. They're wrong, they're bad, they're evil, they're wicked. And the very next thing he does is he turns around and, and with humility says, but Lord, you search me, O God, know my heart, try me. He could have just kept going about the enemies, but he turns it back to himself. When he says try me in verse 23, someone said true faith Is precious like gold, it will endure a trial. But counterfeit faith never wants to be tried. This is a this is a test, if you will, or examination. If you are a believer, you should want to hear this word, right? This word tells us how to live, how not to live, who God is who we should be, what our future is, in a sense, right? And so, believers should want to hear this. Believers want to hear preaching that is comforting, but also, at times, convicting and challenging. If you only want to hear lovey-dovey, comforting preaching, right, then what kind of faith do you truly have? I want a faith that can be challenged through the Word. And that's the kind of faith that we, we ask for. The Bible says in Hebrews that, The Word of God is is living and active. It's like a double-edged sword, right? And so as we hear the Word, as it's preached to us, it can search us, know us, try us, and hopefully put us back on the straight path we need to be on. David here says, God, search my heart. And verse 24, see if there be any grievous way in me. See if there be any wicked way in me. He asked God to help him. And, and I'm reminded here that as a believer, I need to have constant self-reflection. That's over in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, when Paul says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. We need constant self-reflection of who we are, where our minds are, where our bodies are, what we're doing in life, where we're headed in life. Constant reflection to make sure we're following Christ. You know, my children, these two right here, especially, they hate taking medicine. They're getting a little better lately. But especially the the liquid Tylenol or whatever, right? And Alden, why do you hate that medicine? Because it's gross, right? It is gross. I've tasted it. It's gross, right? Even if like, hey, it's cherry flavored, it's strawberry, it's still gross, right? But as a parent, I'll sit there for five minutes or however long it takes until she downs it, right? Until she takes it. Why? I know it's going to help her, right? Taking your medicine, right? It's, or, or how about diet and exercise? You want to feel better or lose weight or something like that? You know it takes some effort, right? No pain, no gain. And spiritually speaking, it can be a very painful process, like taking your medicine, to self-examine. That's a. That's that can be a painful experience, and a lot of us, me included, I would rather examine this person or that person than myself. (laughs) Right, right, because I can point the finger at them, talk about their stuff. When what I need to do, which David does, is says, "Lord, search me and know me. Try my thoughts." And why this is so important is we tend to see ourselves, as I said last week, with blurry glasses. We don't see ourselves probably rightly. And this is why he says, God, search me, know me, try me. Search me, know me, and and lead me. Because we, if left to ourselves, will drift from God. Remember the old hymn? It says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. You ever feel that way? I'm walking with God. I'm I'm faithful in church. I'm reading the word. I'm in prayer. I'm trying to be a a Christian in the world. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Anybody else like that sometimes? Prone to leave the God I love. The song says, here's my heart, Lord. Take and keep it for thy heart, uh, for thy courts above. And so what we need, church, and we say it all the time, is this word to be a spotlight unto our lives. To show us what we need to cut out, what we need to put in. That this would be a spotlight. God's holy spotlight. The lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. To not only search us and try us, but as the third point this morning is, that he would lead us. And if God is leading you down the right path and you know you're you're walking with Him you're being faithful as you can, you're trying to strive to be the Christian God's called you to be, then your prayer this morning needs to be this, Lord, keep leading me in that way everlasting. But if this morning, for some reason, if there's some part of your life that you know you're wondering, you're not on the straight and narrow, you're not following Him in faith and obedience and love, if there's some way you're off the path, your prayer should be this, Lord, try me, search me, know me and put me on the right path by faith. Psalm 139 reveals these truths. God knows you intimately. God loves you unconditionally. And God is always with you. Child of God. He knows you intimately. He loves you unconditionally. And He is with you always. We are not spectators in this world. But crafted creations of the Holy Creator. Knowing that we are fully known and made and loved by God, we should surrender in faith, love, and obedience. You should examine yourself this morning, I should, and know where we stand with God and then be challenged to say, my faith needs to live outside of these church walls. And needs to be lived in my home and where I work and where I go. Because as He leads us in the way everlasting, that means from here until eternity, we need to be the the light of the world. The hands and feet of Christ. Uh, A a mini Christ pointing people to Christ. A mini picture of, of the gospel. So may Psalm 139 be an encouragement to us, but may it also be a, May it be convicting that it starts and ends the same way. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And I praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray.